0: 11 through 15. The word of the Lord says this In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses, in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them and him. May we be blessed by the reading of God's word this morning. You may be seated. Good morning, it's good to again gather in God's house with God's people, just uh, mark your calendars, next Sunday, Brother Steve Turner from the North American Mission Board will be with us uh, to bring God's word to us, I believe he's coming out of Romans chapter 12, uh, is what he told me the last time I spoke with him. So Brother Steve will be with us, uh, for you that may not know, Steve was uh, on staff here Um, several years ago and so he uh, has a dear place in his heart for Palace Chapel. I met him several months ago at a conference we spoke at together and uh, asked if he'd come uh, and he is willing to come. He will be in town uh, and you can be praying for this. Um, J.D. Greer our president at the Southern Baptist Convention has called for a fast on uh, this coming Wednesday uh, that we as Southern Baptists across the world would fast for our convention. Uh, there's many things coming to our convention this year uh, that uh, could, could really um, divide the convention. And so uh, we need, uh, Dr. Greer's has asked us to take a day to pray and fast and ask God for his wisdom uh, at the convention, which will be uh, the 14th, uh, that's a Monday, uh, for that following that, that week. It's here in Nashville actually this year. So let's pray for the convention. Uh, pray for Brother uh, Steve Turner as he comes to bring God's word to us next week. Also prepare your hearts and your calendars for June the 21st through the 25th. That is VBS. Let's begin to pray for VBS uh, that God would use VBS to reach our community for uh, not just the lost children but the lost parents here in our community. Also tomorrow evening at 630, Lyft, which is our women's ministry, uh, will uh, begin again um, here in the building at 630. Is that correct, Miss Patty? If you have, need more information on that, see Miss Patty. Uh, she is uh, the one to see on that. Last but not least, if you're interested in being part of our security team, we need more members. Uh, see Tracy after the service if you're interested in being part of the security team. Uh, let me go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll dive into God's holy word. This morning. God, we come and we quiet our hearts before you. As we quiet our hearts, we ask that you, through the Holy Spirit, would illuminate your word to our eyes. That we'd see the truth. You'd awaken our minds to receive the truth. Then, God, you would give us courage in our hearts. To apply the truth, so we humble ourselves to you under your mighty hand this morning, and ask that you would do what only you can do, and that's bring both justification and salvation. We ask that of you, Lord Jesus. So, for those of us in the room that do not know you, I ask that God you would uh, awaken their hearts to see this great truth that we just sang about. For us that are in the room this morning that trust you and obey you as Lord and Savior, that you would begin, as you have done so faithfully, that process of sanctification. Making our hearts, our minds, our lives more like Christ Jesus which you've called us to. So now, God, I ask that your word would be proclaimed in a way that is clear, uh, and that is with conviction and encouragement. So lead us. As your church this morning, guide us. We pray, Amen. Let's turn to Colossians chapter two, as Jared just read over us. Just as a recap of where we're at in this small letter, the church of uh, to the church in Colossae, to the Colossians was a was a small, brand new church. Um, Paul, through his ministry through Epaphras, had started this church. Apaphras is the founding pastor of this church. They were meeting in a small home, Philemon's home. And uh, what had happened was Epaphras had come to um, Paul who was in house arrest in Rome and began to share about what was going on in the life of this new church. What we believe and scholars believe was this this young church was beginning to hear teachings that were outside of the true gospel. And what, what was being taught was it was Jesus plus all these other things that were going to equal Salvation, And so Paul writes this letter back to this young church, these young believers, as a reminder to them, which would serve as a reminder to us, it's the gospel, Jesus' life and death and resurrection that gives us salvation, and by that and that alone. We'll see that this morning in this text. And this morning in the text, it's a, it's a jump off from where we were at last week. Um, just by a way of reminder of where we are at last week, at the very end of the, the service last week, we talked about, for in him is the fullness of the deity dwells in the body. That in Christ Jesus, the fullness of God dwells. I need to say this as I went back and listened to the message. Um, I meant what I said, but I need to put some clarity around what I said. I said that God doesn't love everyone in the, passage, in the message. That's not exactly what I meant in that passage. Though that is true in the, the Bible, we see that. God says that about Esau. He says to Esau, I hated Esau. So he cannot love Esau and hate Esau at the same. What I meant by that was there, was there is a teaching that is happening that says, because God loves everyone, everyone is going to heaven and there is no hell. That is what I meant by that statement, that no Yes, God loves everyone. Just because he loves everyone in his love, he also brings judgment. And his judgment, people outside of the sovereign work and the blood of Christ will die and perish in hell. So I want to bring clarity to what I said last week. If anyone went home scratching their head like I cannot believe our pastor said that. I was like, "Well, well, I have next week by God's grace to come and clarify that statement. So back to this text. So here we are. The fullness of God is dwelling in Christ. And then Paul says this, and now we are fully in Christ. And so what does that mean for us? Well, Paul in this text is going to now show us how is it that the fullness of God dwells in Christ. But more importantly, how is it that we now dwell in Christ? Because if we don't dwell in Christ and Christ dwells in us, then our salvation is meaningless. Meaningless. It has no power. It has no working to get us into salvation or into relationship with God. And so Paul is going to flesh this out in three ways. The three ways he says is this, is in verses 11 and 12. It's through Christ and Christ alone that we have a new life. So in Christ, being in Christ and Christ in us, we have new life. The second thing he says is this, it's in Christ and Christ alone. That we have forgiveness. And then the third. That's in verses 13 and 14. And then in verse 15. He says in Christ. In Christ alone. We have victory. So Paul is going to come out of the gate. Saying if you want life. If you want forgiveness. And if you want victory. It's all found in Christ. In Christ alone. So let's look at how Paul does that. And says that to us. How is it that we have this new life. In Christ. If we were filled in Christ Jesus, how is it that we have this new life? This is what he says in verse 11 and 12. I'll read the passage again. It says, in him, that's Christ. So he says this, in him, the fullness of God dwells. You now dwell in him, and now in him also. This is on top of that, with that, or more explanation of that, what it means to be in him, says this. In him you also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism into which you were ra- which you are also raised with him through faith and the powerful working of God. And so Paul says this about our new life. What was happening in the church was this. There's two things that you'll see throughout the Bible that are a reminder of, to us about our covenantal relationship with God or God's relationship with us. The first sign was given to us back in Genesis chapter 15, clarified in Genesis 17. That's the sign of circumcision. Remember in Genesis 15, we spent time in Genesis 15, that God came to Abraham and said to Abraham, this is the promise I have for you. I'm going to make you a great nation. And in that great nation, out of you is going to come a king. And out of that king... He's going to save the world and so out of that there's this sign that comes with that covenantal promise it's a sign of circumcision so he says in Genesis 17 to Abraham because of this promise that I'm given to you the sign will be for all the males but also for all the females all the males need to be circumcised that's why there is circumcision it's not just for us now it's for us here in America it is a medical procedure. But back then it was not a medical procedure alone. It was a sign of the covenantal promise that God had given to his people. And so what was happening in the church was this. That they would say, if you were a believer, you must be circumcised. And so that these false teachers were coming in and saying, remember it's Christ and Christ alone, but now it's Christ plus your circumcision. It's Christ plus your works that you do. And so Paul is going to say to them here in the text, no, your new life is not based on circumcision. He's going to say it's based on a circumcision, but it's not a physical circumcision. So Paul says in uh, Colossians chapter 2, verse 11, no, no, this new life is not found in this procedure and this procedure alone. Then he says this about baptism. Not only is it not this, that's a sign of the covenant, but now the New Testament covenant is this, the new sign of the covenant for us. This is the reason that we do baptisms here at this church. That is an outward sign of an inward profession. And so when people are baptized, it's an outward sign of what happened to them in the heart at the moment of their salvation. So we want to make a public display of that. We want to show both the church and the world that God had done something for us. That is why we practice baptism here at this church. That water comes out of the well that's dirty. There's nothing special about that baptism. I promise, if you go look in that baptism, there's nothing special about it either. It's just a it's just a tub full of water that I get in with a robe on, and someone comes next to me with a robe on. I put them in the water, bring them out of the water. Nothing special happens to them. But it is a sign, again, of the covenantal promise God made with us to remind us of our salvation. And in our salvation, the promise that comes with now entering the family of God. And so Paul is saying to them, because that was also being taught, it's being taught today that you have to be baptized in order to be saved. That is simply not true. We can point to the cross to know that's not true. At the cross, remember, on the right and on the left are two wicked men. Those two wicked men, the one goes to hell, the one he says, I will be with you in paradise. That man did not climb off the cross, did not jump in a pool of water and get baptized. He died on the cross, and he is with Christ in heaven. Again, it's an outward sign of an inward transformation. And that's what then Paul goes on to say. He now says, but there must be a baptism, and there must be a circumcision that happens inward. And that's what he says. He says to us, it's an inward circumcision, not of hands. No hands can bring this circumcision about. There's nothing a pastor can do. There's nothing a deacon can do. There's nothing that we can do for another person to bring salvation. He says at the end of verse 12, it is by what? The powerful working of God. It is God that brings both baptism and circumcision circumcision is what Paul is going to say over and over again in the New Testament. It's what God said over and over again in the Old Testament. It's what Jesus says over and over in the New Testament. There must be what? A circumcision where? Of the heart. That God has to do something in the heart of every person. That is scrape off the dead heart and make it alive. He tells us that in Ezekiel. He tells us that in Deuteronomy 30 verse 6. This is what Uh, Moses writes about he says this and the Lord your God will what circumcise your heart and your heart and the offspring of yours so that you may love the Lord your God with all your heart mind and soul so that you may live so God must do the circumcision of the heart there's nothing that you and I can do and then he says not only do you need a circumcision of the heart but you need a baptism that is, comes about of god that is what he says in verse 12 having been what buried with him in his baptism that is a sign that the old is dead and is buried when we practice baptism you'll hear me say it we are buried in the likeness of christ and what raised in the newness of him so what paul is saying to us baptism is a sign That the old has been buried and is dead. And now the newness of life comes where? Not anything that we do, but what God has done for us. He says, having been buried with him. Who's the with him? With Christ. The same way that Christ went into the tomb. We have now gone into that spiritual tomb. In which you were what also raised with him. So we're buried with him. But now because of what God is doing with us, God raises us with Christ the same way that God raised Christ out of the tomb. And he says this, who raised him from the dead and it's the powerful working of God. It is through God and God alone that buries the sinner and raises the saint. There's nothing that we can do. It's God's powerful working that gives us new life. And Paul says, says we must be reminded of that there's nothing in any of us this morning that can bring new life paul's gonna go on to say this is how it happens how do you have new life how is it that you and i if you're a believer are sitting here this morning he now says it happens through what forgiveness if you want to know how you have received circumcision of the heart baptism Both in the burial of your old life and the raised newness of life, it comes through what? The powerful working of God. But what is the powerful working of God? It's through his forgiveness, is what Paul says in 13 and 14. Let us look at that for just a moment. He says, and you, who were what? This is so important to read. Dead in your trespasses. So Paul is going to go back to verses 11 and 12 and say to us, hey, there's nothing that you can do because as a reminder, you were dead. What do dead people do? Nothing. Like if you go to a morgue and one of those people sits up, they're not dead. Run. When you go to a morgue, all those people are dead. Dead people can do nothing. And Paul is reminding us of that. Hey, remember, this life that you've given to us is through Christ and Christ alone of no merit over your own because you were dead in your trespasses. You were dead in your sin. You could do nothing on your own. He said you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of the flesh. He goes back to the circumcision. You were dead and you were uncircumcised. Dead people cannot circumcise themselves. He says you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. And now he says this, but who did the circumcision for you and who made you alive? It says this, God made alive together with him. It was God who did it for us the first thing that we see in the forgiveness of our sin is that we must be reminded that we were dead in our trespasses. Paul says this, flip over to Ephesians chapter 2. I believe Paul nails it when he says it this way in Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 10. It's going to sound very familiar because this is what was being taught. This is what's still being taught. Christ plus something equals salvation. Paul goes back to the church in Ephesus, the same way he does in Colossians says this. Verses 1 through 10, Paul says this. And you were what? Dead in the trespasses and the sins in which you once walked. You were dead. You, I, we, we were all dead. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. When we were dead in our trespasses, we followed Satan and Satan alone. We were dead in our trespasses sin and our trespasses the spirit is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind that's who we were this is one of the sweetest words in all the Bible. But. Paul says you were all this because of your trespasses and your sin. Thank God for the buts in the Bible. But God being what? Rich in mercy. Because of what? His great love which which he loved us. Even while we were what? Dead in our trespasses. Even when we were dead in our sin. Dead in our trespasses. God's Richness was poured out on us. God's love was poured out on to us. You were dead in your trespasses. You were what made alive in Christ. Who made us alive? God, His rich mercy and His love for us. We did not make ourselves alive, He made us alive. He awakened our hearts to live together. With Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised up with him. And seated with us. In him in the heavenly places. In Christ Jesus. So that in the coming of the age. He Jesus might show. His immeasurable richness of his grace. And kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. The first thing that we see. In forgiveness of sin is a free gift of God of no merit that we ought to be owed it or deserve it. It is a free gift. We were dead in our trespasses. The next thing that we see in the text is this back to Colossians chapter two. Not only did he forgive us, but how did he forgive us? He forgave us because he made us alive. It says that in the text, God made us alive. We see that in Romans chapter 6, verses 20 20 through 23. It says for this, in 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. It is God who freely gives us forgiveness of our sin. We'll see later on in this passage what our sin ought to give us. He says now it's through you being first, got to know that you're dead, Then you got to know that you've been made alive in Christ. Now he says, this is how you've been made alive in Christ. It's through the forgiveness of your sins. The word forgiveness there simply means this, to be released from the punishment of it. Forgiveness, God forgave us of our sin, which meant at the moment of our forgiveness, he released the forgiveness. We saw that in Ephesians chapter 2. The punishment of our sin is the wrath of God. God's wrath ought to be poured out on every single one of us. But his free gift spares us from that. Now how does he forgive us of our sins? It's not just that he simply forgives us. But now look at how he forgives us. Two ways he forgives us. It says he canceled our debt. So not only does he release us from the debt, but now it says they've been canceled, which means somebody else has paid for it. Like, if you owe somebody something, you can cancel it, but somebody's gonna, that's going to get paid out by somebody somewhere. I remember in high school, uh, my uh, economics teacher used to tell us this all the time, there's no such thing as a free lunch. That was like as go-to saying, and it got old. But now, in my salvation, there's no such thing as free lunch. Forgiveness, it costs somebody something. It just didn't cost you anything. It cost God dearly. So you and I, the cancellation and the forgiveness of our sin was what? Paid for fully by God. How? Now he tells us the how that happened. So he says, you're dead in your trespasses. You've been made alive in Christ because you've been forgiven and your debt has been canceled. But how did all that happen? Let it be no mystery how that happened. He now says how it all happened was what? By the cross. He says in verse twelve or 13 and 14, by canceling the record of our debt that stood against us and its legal demands. Its legal demands are simply this, the wrath of God. That is the legal demand. That scripture says that is owed to sin is the wrath of God. But by God's great mercy, he, God set it aside by what? By nailing it to the cross. So God took all that we owed to him, all of our debt, and nailed it to the cross. This is a beautiful picture of what happens at the cross. See, at the cross, what would happen is this. You see this in the story of Jesus. Remember, when Jesus is crucified, what do they do? They they nail a plaque above his head. That plaque, it said this. It said he is Jesus of Nazareth, and then it listed out what his claims were. What nailed him to the cross was that he said he was what? The king of the Jews. He said he was the king of the kings. He was Lord of lords. That is what's nailed to his head. That, That is not some cool symbol that makes the cross look even cooler. No, that was a document that was nailed to the cross so that every bystander could come and see the punishment fit the crime. The crime was he claimed to be God. And so because he claimed to be God, his punishment was what? Nailed to the cross so that all spectators could see what he did and what he said. And so what Paul says now is, hey, that same thing that happened to Christ happened to you but it didn't happen on your cross it happened on his cross everything that you did everything that i've did everything we've ever done was nailed on the cross all the shame that ought to be brought onto us because of our sin was nailed to his cross and he endured our shame which gave us forgiveness that is what the cross does for us it's not a cool gold thing you wear around your neck it is the most humiliating, shameful act that could ever be put onto somebody was the cross. And Christ, through Paul, says this, everything that you did and everything I did was nailed to the cross, but because it was nailed to the cross, it was been released from you and forgiven for you because somebody else paid for it. That is how you are forgiven, but that is how you are now made alive in God. If that doesn't stir our hearts, to want to get up and praise the Lord. I don't know what will that everything in this moment, everything you've ever done in your life contrary to God's word and everything you ever will be will do in God, against God was nailed at the cross. And you never have to endure the guilt or the shame that comes with being nailed to the cross. It was as what Paul says, he set it aside you have been forgiven, church. I get one small amen. Like you and I, everything we've ever done has been nailed to the cross. You have been forgiven. And now he's going to say, not only have you been forgiven, now you have victory. You've been set free. And so Paul is going to go back to the church and say, don't forget, it's Christ plus nothing that gives you life and life to the full. That life comes through forgiveness. But what else does that forgiveness bring? It brings what he says in verse 15. What does life in him bring? What does forgiveness in him bring? He says in verse 15, let me read it again. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. His life, his death, his resurrection gives you life, forgiveness, and it also gives you what? Victory. You and I can live victorious today because of the finished work of the cross. And nothing else, you and I cannot bring ourselves victory. It's through the cross and the cross alone. Amen. Now, what does Paul mean by that? What does Paul mean that you and I have victory this morning? He first says this. He disarms the rulers and the authorities, Satan and his minions that means there's no weapon that's fashioned against you any longer because they are disarmed. You you are going into a fight with Satan, and I know it looks like he's he's got a machine gun, but it's nothing but a water pistol. That's all it is. It's an illusion. Because God, through Paul, in Christ says this, he disarmed those people. They, are, they have no offensive weapon against us any longer. They've been stripped of that is what Paul says. And we have victory because of that. It literally means this. The Greek word means this, to be stripped away or to be undressed. Satan is standing before us butt naked. That's what it says. He's got nothing that he can bring against you, but he's got all these illusions that he's bringing against us, and we believe them to be true because we don't really believe the gospel. Because what Paul later on says this, resist Satan and he will flee from you. Because if you resist Satan, you take up the full armor of God and you have the full offensive weapons and defensive weapons to stand against him. He will flee you, because he knows he's defenseless. And then he says this, not only is he defenseless, but he puts them now into open shame. What does that mean? Here's what Paul is getting at. Here's the picture that he is using here in the text. What would happen would be this, when the Romans would go in and conquer other nations or other territories, the Roman general that would conquer that nation or that territory would then march through the streets of rome how he would march through the streets of rome he'd be up front all of his soldiers would be behind him the people would come out of rome into the cities and they would cheer this roman general on it'd be like this one day god willing the titans or the predators win a championship we will throw what a ticker tape parade we will all go downtown nashville we will definitely get COVID again, but we will cheer our ever-loving minds out because they won a championship. If you've ever been there, seen it, they go crazy when the, when the championship team comes through the city, do they not? Millions of people go. That is what Paul is saying. He's saying this is what it looks like. The king of kings, the Lord of lords, is triumphed over everyone, and he's marching through the city, and everyone ought to be rejoicing. But that's not where the word picture stops it's not just that this triumphal king this triumphal uh, general is marching through the city it would be like this and gosh i hope it happens i would love to see it because i cannot stand the dude it would be like whoever wins the nba championship this year i pray that the la lakers have to walk in utter shame before behind the national that, that that championship team that's what ha- would happen not not only did this champion general walk but now all the people that he captured had to walk it says this they had to walk naked in the street and that is what paul is saying that paul is saying because of Christ Jesus our lord is walking triumphantly through the streets but not only that Satan's dominion and Satan himself are in the very back of the line, having to walk in the shame of being defeated. Amen? Satan has been defeated. You have victory. That word in the text is not past tense. It is not future tense. It is present tense. You have victory today because of what Christ did for you and nothing else that is what Paul is saying in these small verses because of what Christ did for you on the cross you have a new life it's what Paul says in Corinthians the old is gone the new is here do you and do I church live like that in the new life that God has given to us do you and do I live knowing the forgiveness of our sin that's been nailed to the cross you've been forgiven There is nothing that you've done in this room that hasn't been forgiven or can't be forgiven. No sin. Because it's been nailed to the cross. Because it's been nailed to the cross, you and I and we the church now can live in victory. Because we have a king that is riding through the streets triumphantly for us and on our behalf. And so I say this as a way of closing this morning. Have you experienced the full forgiveness of God? One writer says this. Here's the five aspects of God's forgiveness. The six aspects, excuse me, of God's forgiveness. The first one is this. God's forgiveness is so gracious. It's free. That's the first thing you and I must know. God's forgiveness is free. You don't deserve it and you can't earn it. It's freely been given to you. Not only that is God's forgiveness, is it a free gift, but it's complete. It lacks nothing. There's nothing that you cannot be forgiven of and there's nothing that you haven't been forgiven of, given of, forgiven of if you are in Christ Jesus. Here's the third one that he says. It is eager. God has an eagerness to forgive people. He's not sitting back begrudging like, I guess i got to forgive him. He's actively desiring to forgive people. That's what the cross shows us. Remember what Christ did when he went out before Jerusalem? He wept over the city. He was eager to forgive people because they were what? Like sheep without a shepherd, harassed, helpless, and he eagerly wanted to go to the cross. We can say that is also, it is certain or is definitive. It is as true as true can get is God's forgiveness. The next one is this. It is unequaled. There's nothing in all the world that can equal God's forgiveness. It's unequaled. It has no rival. And the last is this. And it ought to be for every one of us. God's forgiveness ought to be our primary motivator for evangelism. If God did it for you and is eager to do it for other people, his primary way of doing that is through the church. And I don't mean a building. I mean you and me, the members of the church. This message ought to motivate us into a lost world because we're reminded of the new life that we have through the forgiveness of Christ Jesus on the cross that gives us victory today. And we can bring that victory to those who are still suffering and who are still under bondage they can experience freedom through christ and christ alone but the question that you have to answer the question i have to answer first is have i experienced the full forgiveness of god this morning let me pray